Hello and welcome to the Canyons Are Calling podcast. I'm Cheryl, your host for the show. So here is the follow-up call with Rich Carlson. If you did not listen to my last episode, it was my first interview with Rich back in February. I just got around to posting it. And um, when I reached out to him to make sure that I was linking him in all of the correct places and if there were anything else he wanted to add, he mentioned that we had not talked about the Canyon Guide International program that certifies guides through training and assessments. And I felt like that was something that we definitely needed to cover on the program because I know a lot of people out there want to be guides or they want to take their friends and family through canyons. And I felt like, you know, training is very important. You can never have enough practice and enough knowledge about canyoneering. So um, this is a way for you to assess your skills if you want to be taking people out or if you want to, you know, if you want to guide for a, a job. Um, and you can get certifications for different levels of training. And Rich will go into all of that more into in the interview. So I'm not going to waste any more of your time. Um, here's part two of Rich Carlson. Enjoy. Okay, so hey, good morning, Rich. Thanks for joining us for the second follow-up interview. Good morning. How you doing today? Good. Sorry, I didn't even think to ask you what you're up to now and talk about the international guide program that you have. Yeah, oh, no worries. We talked about a lot of different things. Yeah, we did. We were all over the place. <laughs> so I was looking into the international guide program that you have. Um, right. and it looks really awesome. You have four different levels or five because you have the pro level. Uh, no, there's there's four levels of guide certification, and then there's two levels of instructor and assessor. Okay, right. Awesome. So, yeah, just get into what that is and how that got started. Okay. Um, well, I guess a little bit of background first. Um, back when I started the American Canyoneering Association in the late 90s, in about the same time frame, I went to Europe and became certified as a guide. And had it in the back of my mind that maybe this new association will also train and certify guides, not just recreational canyoneers. So after I got certified in Europe and the ACA started, I also went to Corsica at a time when a French association was running a guides assessment to kind of shadow them around to see how they do it. I went to visit Australia at the time that they were writing their uh, technical requirements and standards for professional guides for canyoning and talk to a lot of people that I know that are very proficient canyoneers here in the United States. Most specifically, Dave Black and Charlie Oliver were in on the ground floor with the ACA as far as offering courses. And in the early days of the ACA, if you took an ACA course, your instructor was either me, Dave Black, or Charlie Oliver. So anyway, um, the first official guides course with the American Canyoneering Association was in Arizona in, I believe it was 2000. And we had guides come from all over the world, from Australia, Scotland, Canada, uh, few from the United States. Um, and I, I think I mentioned in our, our previous part of our interview about the accident in Interlock in Switzerland. So one of the things that, that people could see coming in Europe is the need for a requirement for certification because of 22 people dying in that accident. So the, the impetus for a lot of these guys coming to the course in the US is that it was the first international guides course that was offered in England, English, not England, English. <laughs> um, 
it, there were there were courses in Spanish, there were courses in French and German, but we offered the first international course in English. So we ended up training guides in quite a few different countries, uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Mexico, Costa Rica, Puerto Rico, uh, Canada, and on and on and on. So I resigned from the ACA, didn't think that I was going to be doing much more with canyoneering or guide training or whatever, but I had an opportunity to go to Nepal and start volunteering to train guides there. So a lot of what was happening there is uh, the people that became guides previously had been making like a dollar a day working in rice fields. And if they could get a job in tourism, they start making 20 to $35 a day, which doesn't seem like much to, to us, but in their economy, going from a dollar a day to $35 a day is a big thing. Yeah. So I was going there two, three or four times a year volunteering to train guides. I would volunteer my own time, pay my own expenses. And in addition, I ran a, a GoFundMe program to raise money to buy gear. So Petzl and Blue Water, Rock Exotica and so on were selling gear to me at better than wholesale to help support the program. And then I, I raised enough cash through GoFundMe to actually pay the less than wholesale cost of the gear. So we were training guides and having a blast and the guides were happy to get the training, but they kept asking me, well, but now what, where do we get certification? And there was no certification program available to them that didn't cost money. A lot of the, the international certification programs, they want you to start with Canyoneering 101 in their organization and then take 102 and 103 and commit to spending money with them. Right. And the guides in Nepal just couldn't do it. So the whole reason behind starting Canyon Guides International was to serve the guides in Nepal. That was the, the entire reason for it. But not long after that, I was teaching a couple guides courses in Mexico and just mentioned it in passing. And the guys in Mexico said, well, we want in. You know, what's, what's involved? How do we get started? Oh, well, I wasn't expecting Nepal and Mexico that, okay, let's start talking. And then I was training guides up in Jasper, Alberta, Canada with a friend of mine and mentioned the same thing. And he said, well, in the back of my mind, I've been just thinking about starting a, a guides association up here in Canada. Um, I might not even bother. Let's just get Canada involved in Canadian Guides International. And then I started talking to more guys in the US and Hong Kong and Taiwan where I'd been training people under the ACA banner in the past. And all of them were on board. So, yeah, let's do this. So we made a lot of progress pre-COVID. And then things kind of ground to a halt because of travel restrictions and so on. Um, it's starting to gain momentum again. But a, a couple of things that we want to accomplish. One is we know that people acquire skills and knowledge through a variety of sources. So we don't want to be an association where you have to take Canyoneering 101 from us and 102 from us and keep paying us and paying us and paying us. So we've built a system that, in, that entails some online exams for technical knowledge. There is a hands-on assessment. There's an in-canyon assessment. People are required to submit some peer reviews or mentor reviews as part of the process. 
So it's kind of involved. It requires a lot of initiative on the part of the candidate. Um, but we're willing to recognize that people have acquired their skills and knowledge from a lot of different sources. So, you know, if we find knowledge gaps or skill gaps, certainly we'll encourage them to, to find a reputable instructor to fill those those gaps. But other than that, we've we're, we're pretty open as far as how people acquire their skills and knowledge. So are you saying you kind of take an assessment to find out where your skill level is at and then you can start the courses at that level? Um, you don't necessarily have to even take courses from us. You, you okay. As long as you have the knowledge, then you can get the certifications. As long as you prove it. Okay, gotcha. So, so an example for our level one and level two, there's one assessment that covers both. So if you come and take the assessment, there's one of three possibilities. One is you fail and you got no certification. The other is you passed, but with a skill level that we expect from a level one guide, which is basically an assistant guide. We call it aspirant, but it's an assistant guide. Or you could pass at level three, which is we call a fixed site single pitch guide, which is for somebody that only guides the same one or two or three canyons over and over and over again. So they're working for a company where all of the safety procedures, the entrance, the exit, and so on, uh, the anchors are all figured out, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and then there's another assessment for the level three uh, certification. And then level four is kind of a, a special deal. It's a, a master canyon guide. And it's somebody that has to have acquired a lot of experience. They're already certified by somebody. So you can't you can't assess your way out of level four. You have to have a strong background before you even try. Okay. Gotcha. Um, what we've got right now is a lot of people in various places in the pipeline. Um, I mentioned it requires initiative. So we have people that will come and take an assessment and they will pass. And next thing I know, they're asking me if they're certified. And I say, no, 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 there's a checklist. It's on the website. All you have to do is open it up and it tells you step by step. You've got to become a member. You've got to do the written exam and so on and so on. Okay. Um, and just shout out what the website is. CanyonGuidesInternational.org. Okay. I'll definitely have a link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going through there today and I know a lot of the people that are part of your certification guides. So I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and you'll notice that when you look at profiles, some mm -hmm. of them are complete and some are not. There are people yeah, I did that, notice there's like a lot of pictures and some that don't have pictures. And, and some that have pictures <laughs> and haven't filled out their bio and, you know, so on and so on. Um, and I try to encourage them to get that done quickly because that's also their uh, presence to the public. If somebody comes looking for a CGI certified guide, if they click on member directory, that's the guide's opportunity to present themselves. So the bio is, you know, I'm a great guy, I'm handsome, um, I'm a, I serve people in the following areas geographically, and, you know, this is my certification level and so on. So to me, it doesn't make any sense that they're so slow getting things done, but. Right. I think some people are intimidated by it, but when you really look at it, some of the stuff is just like setting up a profile on Facebook. There's a cover yeah. image in the background, there's a profile photo in the foreground, and you write a bio. 
It's actually very, very simple. They just need to have the initiative. Yeah. Hmm. I miss guiding. <laughs> it was a fun job. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I sometimes like I wonder if you're supposed to be doing this at my age. At some point, you're supposed to get a real job, and I don't know. I, I don't can't know. <laughs> It's so much more rewarding just to watch the people change throughout the canyon, I feel sure. like. Sure. Yeah. That Good to job. me was better than the paycheck, but you have to pay rent too. So whatever. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Awesome. So people can check out the website. They can do the assessments. Um they can reach out to you to teach them courses or any of the guides on there. How does that work? Uh, the very first thing that they should do if they're interested is go to the certification page and download the PDF. It's called a, a, a certification uh, checklist and it tells them everything that they need to accomplish. And they don't have to accomplish any of it in any particular order. So some people look at it and they say, I've already acquired the skills. I'm not even going to take a course and they can set up for an assessment. Yeah. If somebody looks at it and says, oh, I better make sure I've got the skill set and I'll take a course first. So I'm just not wasting everybody's time taking the assessment. Yeah. And that's fine. They, they can look at the guides list, just about anybody in the guides list. If they're certified at level two, they can teach and assess level one well, they can teach level two, they can assess level one. And then a level three guide can teach and assess level one or level two. So then to get the assessment, what does that entail? They'd contact a guide and go out in the field? Yeah, so it, it's laid out in the skills checklist who's eligible to give you the certification assessment. So you don't have to guess at you know, who you can, you can ask. Yeah. Um, but there's actually two different assessments uh, hands-on assessments. One of them is typically done at a cliff somewhere where we just ask the person, show us that you know how to ascend, show us you know how to set up a contingency anchor, show us that you know how to convert a static rigging system to a lower, show us you can do a pickoff, and so on and so on. So it's just do what we ask you to do and you'll be graded on how well you did. Mm -hmm. um, the second hands-on assessment is an in-canyon assessment. And ideally, it's done with a guide that's already working, whether he's working as an assistant guide or a lead guide. And one of our assessors just shadows them when they're going down a canyon with clients. Hmm. And what we're looking for there is not specific, you know, can you do kind of skills. We're looking for the application of skills. And are they really taking care of their clients? Um, do they have enough energy to take care of themselves and their clients if there's additional needs? You know, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, would you recommend this only for people that are wanting to be in a guiding profession or people that want to take their friends out too? Uh, we get a lot of people that are, they want to have the title of guide, but they're really not interested in working as a guide. And, and that's fine with us. As long as somebody doesn't come to a, a course or exam that we first have to uh, teach how to repel. That's wasting everybody's time and it's not fair to the guy, the people that actually have acquired the right amount of skills. Right. But if somebody, yeah, if somebody looks at the skills checklist and they says, I'm confident that I can do 
all of the basics. That's okay. Okay. Uh, we had, this is the, one of the last things I did when I was still with the ACA is there were a group of people that asked if they could challenge an assessment. And this was only recreational leader with the ACA. And normally we expected people to get some training first, but this was a group that says, oh, come on, come on, you know, we're, we're all excellent. You know, we'll, we've got all this experience and so on and so on. Of the eight people that attended, only one passed. Wow. And of the other seven, some of the results were pretty dismal. It was people that thought, you know, I've reached a, a very high level of expertise and skill and so on in, in canyoneering, but it was a disappointment. Wow. I, huh. I'll, give you, I'll give you one simple example from the assessment. Um, there was a guy that came up from Las Vegas who's a captain for a fire department down there. And he asked me if he could set up a station that was like a, what I previously had called a buddy check station. And I said, you mean a buddy check? I mean, these, these people are representing themselves as pretty experienced. That's a very elementary thing to be checking people on. He said, well, I, I want to do what I, I call a systems check. And you can't hurt anything. I say, okay, set it up. So he put a piece of webbing around a tree tied with a square knot. On that, he put a repeat that was not closed. On that, he put a, a releasable figure eight block that was done incorrectly. And then if you follow the rope down to his harness, his repelling device was rigged on one of his leg loops. And the other leg loop was unbuckled and his chin strap on his helmet was unbuckled. So altogether, there were eight things wrong. Wow. When people arrived at his station, he said, at my station, I want you to do a complete systems check. If you find anything wrong, don't fix it. Just bring it to my attention. And I'll go ahead and tell you now, there are at least three things wrong. So some of the seven only found three things wrong out of the eight. Some wow. found five things, six things, seven things wrong but only one person found all eight things wrong. So that, that was the one person who passed the overall assessment. And in the end, when we debriefed it, I told people, you know, that's an all or nothing thing. And they said, no, 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 no. We, we should pass if we get 70%, not on a system check. On a system check, you miss one thing and somebody- Right. Can't. Person's life depends on that. If they're not clipped in right their leg loops not done like their helmets not on well or their repelling devices have rigged on a leg loop right yeah so many things it was ridiculous for somebody to come to an assessment <clears throat> saying that i'm ready to be a leader of canyoneers yeah and, and do so poorly on something as simple as a systems check yeah yeah, I'm always watching people set up and stuff. Even if I'm like talking to somebody, I'll be watching. And there's been times like, why are you hooking up that way? And then they'll look again and be like, oh, shit, I'm not through the other carabiner. Like, whatever yeah. is wrong. So, yeah, you need to be on top of your shit when you're the leader. Yeah, well, everybody needs to be on top of their shit. Even, even me as a guide or an instructor. True. I like to tell people, look, I'm still just a human and I'm getting old and my brain isn't functioning the way it used to. Right. We're all in this together. You know, I, even yep. if I do something, if it looks wrong, 
I don't want you falling into the trap of saying it must be right. Rich is the instructor. Right. Rich did it that way. It's cool. No, like question no. why you do it that way. <laughs> yeah. And always checking each other before. Right. Even between repels. I mean, you set up one way. If you get tired, if you get hypothermic, if you get hungry, I mean, there's so many things that could, I mean, throughout the day, you just sure. always need to be checking. Always, always, always. <laughs> and as a, a guide, I remember clients doing some silly things. You know, I would get them into a harness correctly. I would get their helmet on correctly. Everything is on correctly, but we're taking a break for lunch or just in between repels or whatever. And next thing I know, I'm looking at it saying, that's not the way I put your harness on. Why did you change it? Well, I went to the bathroom and my friend helped me put it back on. Well, your friend doesn't know how to put on a harness. They've never done it before. Yeah. Silly little things. Yeah. yeah. I just got a new harness that I absolutely love. It's the Mazarin from Elevated Climbing. It's more of a caver style harness. All oh, right. I learned about it from the Pacific Northwest people, but right. it attaches just around your waist. Like you step into it and then it like comes around and locks in front with a D ring. Right. It's right. so much easier to get in and out of than my other. Is it, is it kind of a hip hugger? Mm -hmm. A lot of caving yeah. harnesses ride kind of low, but they're yeah. meant to be used with a, a crawl and some suspenders. Yeah. And so I like it. It works well for me, but my husband did not. Because oh. it because it's so low, it falls off. He doesn't really have a butt like I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm like, you need more junk in your trunk, but I really like it. Yeah. I don't know. Good. Harnesses make a difference, I think. Yeah. What kind of harness do you use? Uh, I'm still using my my Petzl Canyon harness. I've, I've got still got my old one. I've got the new guide version. Lots of times when I'm teaching, I'm actually using a Petzl Falcon harness because I'm hanging in it for so long every day. Oh, nice. It's it's not a canyoning harness. It's a like a, a rope access kind of a harness. But if mm -hmm. I'm gonna hang next to somebody for a long time, it's got a really wide uh, waist belt on it. So it's much more comfortable than a canyon harness is. But, uh, the original version of the Petzl Canyon, if anybody remembers it, it was a purple strapped harness. The waist belt had no padding on it whatsoever. Hmm. It was a two inch piece of webbing that went around your, your back and then two inches of webbing that went around your legs. So it dug into your groin and dug into your back. Oh, wow. Harness. Did it have the butt on it or no, not yet? It did, yeah. Okay. Huh. That was that was the first harness that was introduced to the U.S. from Europe that had the butt pad on it. Awesome. Those are so popular now. <laughs> They're important. <coughs> your pants. <laughs> pants. Yeah. For sure. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about today? Oh, I think we've covered it. Yeah. I think we have. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming back on. Um, awesome. Have a good day. Yep, you too. Buen dia.
Okay, I hope you enjoyed part two of the Rich Carlson interview. Um, you can find more information about the canyoneering program at canyonguidesinternational.org. Um, also, remember about the V7 Academy with Andrew Humphreys. If you didn't listen to that episode, it's the episode right before Rich's that I posted. Um, V7 is also uh, more additional canyoneering training specific to Class C water flowing canyons. So if you're interested in those types of canyons, that's also a great way um, to get more training. Um, also, speaking about training, I am having a skills day here in the Kanab area, May 14th. So if you're going to be in the area, let me know. I have an event on Facebook and we're just going to get together, practice some skills so we can get more efficient and eat some tacos. So um, if you're in the Kanab area, May 14th, let me know. Hope to see you there. I also have updated my website and um, put more stickers on. I was sold out on them and I didn't realize it. So if you were trying to get stickers and were not able to, I have fixed that problem. And I also added the holographic sticker that I have with a little person stemming. It's pretty cool. Um, a sticker that was made by Will Nelson. Shout out to him and his podcast, Being Human. Um, there's an interview with me on there. Pretty great show. Also, I haven't shouted this out for a minute but if you're enjoying this beautiful hand drum music in the background shout out to chris solinger z the hand pan man there's links to him in all the show notes if you would like to support the show you can do that on patreon.com slash the canyons are calling other than that the canyons are calling gotta go